This morning, uh, we're going to start a series in the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we're going to be here uh, for about four weeks, I think. We're going to be in the book of Ruth, and then beginning in September, we're going to transition uh, back to the New Testament and look at First Thessalonians for the fall. But today we're in Ruth. Uh, I've got a good friend, I told some of you, I went to his daughter's wedding up in Linville uh, a couple of weeks ago and my friend actually gave the charge to his daughter uh, and to her husband to be uh, if you knew my friend he's a, a man that's he's a strong man he's full of love and, and energy and joy he's a big bearded guy he's very jovial he's the kind of person that's never met uh, a stranger just kind of a life of the party kind of guy um and he also tears up very easily. Uh, he's a very emotional man. It's so much so that I found out after the wedding that there were many of us that had bets going. We had pools going on how long it would be before he started crying uh, as he was giving the charge. But as he was giving the charge, one of the things he talked about and one of the ways he challenged his daughter and her future husband was he said, essentially, it's easy to be joyful during the good times. It's not as easy to be joyful during the difficult times. Are, are you going to have any resources that enable you to be joyful during the difficult times? And he read from Habakkuk 17, uh, how do we rejoice when the, excuse me, the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's Habakkuk 3, verse 17, not Habakkuk 17. But, but how do you rejoice during times like that? How do you rejoice when life is hard? And so my question for you to kind of wrestle with this morning is, do you have anything in your life that will sustain you during those times of difficulty? Anything that will keep you afloat? Anything that will even bring you joy during the hard times? So that's what we're going to think about as we read from the book of Ruth, chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, the entire chapter, and you can see it printed in your bulletin. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. 
But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. He returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, thank you for uh, your word. Uh, thank you for the, the folks you've gathered to, to gather here today to hear your word. Uh, I pray that you would speak to us now and that you would encourage us uh, and that you would point us to Christ, uh, who is our joy. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I want to make really just two big points this morning. I want to talk about the reality of sadness and then ask the question, is God doing anything about the sadness? The reality of sadness and is God doing anything about the sadness? Uh, The text tells us here that during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the country of Israel. So a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi left Israel and took their family to Moab to find food. Uh, When they get to Moab, Elimelech, the husband, dies. His two sons get married, and then his two sons die. And so his wife, Naomi, is left in Moab with no husband, no sons, and two daughters-in-law. When she hears that there's food in Israel again, she decides to go home. But when her daughters-in-law try to come with her, she basically says to them, you don't want to go with me. God has set his hand against me. That you, you, you just don't want to be with me. You would be better if you stayed here. Uh, one of the daughters decides to stay, but eventually Naomi returns and Ruth comes along with her to go back to Israel. Uh, But you can see in what Naomi says when she's greeted, when she returns, that she really hasn't put everything behind her yet. Uh, Look in verse 20 again. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very 
bitterly with me. And, and, and the word Naomi means something along the lines of pleasant, and Mara means bitter. She says, call me bitter. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Uh, Naomi understood very well the reality of sadness. Uh, and most of us probably do too. Uh, our, our wealth and our affluence can insulate us from sadness to a degree and for a time. Uh, but eventually, if, it's, if you haven't faced it already, you will face real sadness. Uh, the Avid brothers sing about this in their song, True Sadness. Because I still wake up shaken by dreams, and I hate to say it, but the way it seems is that no one is fine. Take the time to peel a few layers, and you will find true sadness. Now, we're not supposed to let on to that, because we're supposed to be fine, and we're supposed to be happy, and that's what we try to project in our, in our social media feeds, that, that everything is okay. But... Take the time to peel away all of that, and you'll find sadness. Uh, Maybe you're living with the fact that your parents abused or neglected you in some way. Maybe your spouse betrayed you. Maybe your children are are making a mess of their lives. Maybe you're lonely and and feel like that, that nobody really gets you. Maybe you're dealing with hurt. Our disease and its ramifications are, are even dealing with death. And in the midst of all that, you may not have actually said, just change my name to bitter already. But you may have gotten really close to that. You may have felt a lot like that. Uh, in reading and preparing for this sermon, it was interesting that, that some uh, authors felt that Naomi is just doing what is often done in, in the Old Testament. She's just expressing her lament to God, her complaint to God. Uh, Others feel that she may have crossed some sort of line here. After all, the Bible does tell us to put away all bitterness. And she is a bitter person at this point. Uh, If you were to go and read through the Old Testament Psalms, I think you'd find that God gives us a lot more latitude than we think in expressing our sadness and our complaints to him, um, especially if you're a believer and you've been accustomed to kind of being told, you know, you're supposed to be re- rejoicing in all things, but that's never been nuanced in any way for you. Go back and read through the Psalms of Lament. Read through Psalms like Psalm 88, which really is a very dark Psalm. These Psalms of Lament express discomfort with God, with a, a, a lack of understanding what God is doing, crying out, even God, where are you? In the midst of my sadness, in the midst of my discomfort. But at the same time, while the Psalms are filled with lament and complaint, uh, there are also times, and, and, and Psalm 73 is one in particular you could go back and look at, where the psalmist realizes that, that he's crossed the line. He had crossed the line in his complaining to God. And so we have to learn to express our complaint while at the same time remembering the one it is who we address. 
And so I wanted to acknowledge that and kind of throw that out for you to think about, but I don't want to try to draw those lines for you. I'd encourage you just to go back and work through the Psalms and think about that. What I want us to really see this morning, what I want us to really acknowledge is this reality of sadness in our lives. This reality that we try so hard not to acknowledge. You know, we, we could even feel like there's something wrong with me if I acknowledge this. If I say that I'm sad, if I say that I'm actually depressed, we're afraid to admit that because everybody's going to look at us funny or, or think we're just unhealthy. And that's not necessarily true. It may be that we're just seeing the world for the way it actually is. For the way it actually is. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it stuck out to you, but a couple of weeks ago in our uh, Confession of Faith from the Heidelberg Catechism, there was a line that said, He will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. And it, there's this amazing assurance in that, right? That, that he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me. But then it uses the phrase, in this sad world. And that just really jumped out to me because I can't imagine middle class Americans writing, Christians writing a creed where they use the phrase in this sad world. Because that just sounds too gloomy and not positive enough and not American enough. And we can seize the day and fix this sad world if we just do the right things. It sounds too depressing to us. But maybe not if you lived in medieval Europe where... One out of five infants died before their first birthday. Or five out of ten children died before the age of ten. Maybe not if you lived in North Korea. Not if you're sitting over here thinking, well, that guy is crazy. But what if you actually lived there and lived under that regime? You really would be experiencing a very sad world. Well... I'm belaboring my point. The, the, the world really can be a, a sad place. The real question then, is God going to do anything about that? Is God going to do anything about it? Is there anything in this Christian story in the Bible that might give me a reason to think that joy is possible in the midst of the sadness? William Cooper was a contemporary of John Newton. Uh, He struggled with mental illness and depression his entire life. He never really got better. Uh, He wrote a hymn, the the hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. And and listen to the, the two of the lines. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Can I really believe that? Are those just, you know, so much, oh, that's that's a nice old hymn. Is God really doing anything to bring about blessing in the midst of sadness? Is he really exercising his providence as the catechism this morning said with a fatherly hand in my life well notice the blessings that God brings Naomi here Uh, verse 6 God 
lifts the famine in Israel. He graciously su- supplies bread again to a people who had rebelled against him. Uh, verse 14, Ruth clings to Naomi. She demands to go back with her. And Ruth herself is a blessing that God is giving to Naomi. It, she just can't see it yet. Uh, verse 16, uh, look at verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Ruth's conversion is an amazing blessing in the, in the midst of all this. She says, I'm committing myself, even though I've been a Moabite, I am committing myself to the God of Abraham. Naomi, your God is my God now. Uh, in the words of the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 3, Ruth has turned from idols to serve the living and true God. God had used Naomi's family, Naomi's family and their trouble, Naomi's family, even when they had left the promised land to go to Moab, who were big time enemies of God's people, even when they went there, God used Naomi's family in in all their sorrow and their confusion to bring Ruth to himself. Then in chapter 4, which we'll get into later in in the series, after Ruth is married and, and has a son, Naomi is told she has a grandson who will be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And so... God uses our times of trouble and sadness for good. He uses them to bring people to know Him. He uses them to bring people who already know Him to know Him more deeply. Uh, He can even restore joy to those who think that there is no more reason for joy. He can even restore joy to those who have become very bitter. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, you probably know the name. She was paralyzed in a diving accident 50 years ago, and she wrote an article recently kind of re- reflecting on those events and, and, and on her life. And I want to read some, some sections of it to you. She says, I was once the 17-year-old who wretched at the thought of living life without a working body. I hated my paralysis so much I would drive my power wheelchair into walls, repeatedly banging them until they cracked. Early on, I found dark companions who helped me numb my depression with scotch and cola. I just wanted to disappear. I wanted to die. What a difference time makes, as well as prayer, heaven-minded friends, and deep study of God's word. All combined, I began to see there are more important things in life than walking and having the use of your hands. It sounds incredible, but I really would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than be on my feet without him. Decades of study, paralysis, pain, and cancer have taught me to say, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. I won't rehearse all of suffering's benefits here. Many of you know them by heart, like the way God uses it to shape Christ's character in us, or how it produces patience, or how it refines our faith like gold. 
or how it gives us a livelier hope of heaven and on and on. However, if I were to nail down suffering's main purpose, I'd say it's the textbook that teaches me who I really am. Because I'm not the paragon of virtue I'd like to think I am. Suffering keeps knocking me off my pedestal of pride. Back in the 70s, my Bible study friend Steve Estes shared 10 little words that set the course for my life. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Steve explained it this way. Johnny, God allows all sorts of things he doesn't approve of. God hated the torture, injustice, and treason that led to the crucifixion. Yet he permitted it so that the world's worst murder could become the world's only salvation. In the same way, God hates spinal cord injury, yet he permitted it for the sake of Christ in you as well as in others. Like Joseph, when he told his brothers, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. For the saving of many lives, yes. So I dare not hide my testimony under a bushel. Too many people with disabilities are floundering in hopelessness. It's why I wrote the Johnny book and did the Johnny movie. I started Johnny and Friends when special needs families started asking, how can I help my son with cerebral palsy out of depression? Why doesn't God heal everyone? How can I get my church involved and more? I wanted to show these people what the gospel looks like, just like my Christ with me and suffering friends did. Last week, my husband Ken and I were at our Johnny and Friends family retreat in Alabama. We were lunching in the big, noisy dining hall when a college-age volunteer approached me, holding a kid with Down syndrome on her hip. She gestured at the crowd and asked, Miss Johnny, do you ever think how none of this would be happening were it not for your diving accident? I flashed a smile and said, it's why I thank God every day for my wheelchair. Isn't that amazing? She's an amazing woman. It's almost unbelievable. Um, A a few years ago, uh, another story, a few years ago, Susan's dad, uh, he was a a, a pilot's pilot. Uh, He flew cargo planes in Vietnam. He flew F-4 Phantoms for the Alabama Air National Guard. Uh, He flew Cessnas and Learjets as a a corporate pilot. Uh, There's a story that, that one time they were flying the F-4s, they were taking off during the Auburn-Alabama game and their flight path took them over Legion Field where the game was being played and so as they went over the field in the middle of the game they hit the afterburners and made this loud boom. The TV announcers freaked out and one of the players jumped off sides. So, so this is just to kind of say he was, that's who he was. He was a, he was a pilot's pilot. Uh, well, when he turned 60, even though the company that he worked for had nothing like this in their policy, they basically let him go because of his age. Didn't, didn't see it coming. He had no way to know it was coming. It was, it was completely devastating to him. He was not a pilot anymore. Uh, and Susan's mom, last week we were together, and, and she said, you know, as hard as that was, spiritually it was the best thing that ever happened to him because of the way it deepened his relationship with the Lord. God is is at work in the midst of our sadness. He's at work in the midst of our sadness, using it to bring others to know Christ, using it in our own lives to to deepen our relationship with him. And even he, he works in it to restore our joy. And that's incredibly good news. But but let's be honest for a second. 
Johnny still hurts every day. And she's going to hurt every day for the rest of her life. And she's going to die. And Susan's dad, uh, even though his joy was restored and, and had 10 or 12 great years after that, he died a few years ago of, of lung cancer. Uh, and so there's this wonderful news. And yes, God is doing something in the midst of our sadness. But is he going to do anything about that? Is he going to do anything about that kind of sadness? And the even better news is that he is going to do something about that. He has done something about that. And he was working on that even in the book of Ruth. We'll come back to this, I'm sure, again later on. But the the book of Ruth actually closes uh, this way. Let me find this real quick. Closes with this sort of genealogy. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, who Ruth would marry. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. King David. Now the, the tail end of that probably sounds a little bit familiar to you because you've probably read Matthew chapter 1 before. In Matthew chapter 1 we read, And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the, f- the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And what is Matthew 1 but the genealogy of Jesus? Of Jesus. A famine led to a journey to Moab, which led to a woman named Ruth whose husband died. And so she returned with Naomi to Israel, which led to a marriage to Boaz, which led to a son who was the ancestor of David, the ancestor of Jesus. See, God already in the book of Ruth was preparing the way for his son who would come to deal with sin and with death once and for all. Now how did he do that? Uh, that's what the cross is about. The, the cross is the place where Jesus stands in the place of people who lived the way the Israelites did in the day of Judges. Ruth takes place in the days of the Judges. Do you remember the way the book of Judges ends? There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we're like that. The human race is like that. And that has brought us as a human race under God's wrath and curse into a place of ongoing brokenness and sadness. But the cross of Jesus is where we see God doing something to put an end to that. The cross is where Jesus bears the wrath of God so that we can be freed from God's wrath and curse so that our sins can be forgiven so that we can be freed from our fear of death so that we can actually know God and have a relationship with him the cross is God doing something about sadness and death by doing something about sin I started this sermon with a story about my friend who was reminding his daughter and her husband 
about how it can be easy to find joy in the good times of life, but not so easy during the hard times of life and challenging her about where to find that joy. And they weren't trite words for him. They were, they were lived words. Uh, he had a son who died shortly after birth. Uh, he's got a neighbor who basically hates him because he's godly. Uh, it, it's kind of a crazy story. He uh, had heart valve surgery two years ago and surgery for prostate cancer uh, within the last year. And yet he stood there telling his daughter and future son-in-law where to find joy. And he told them as a man who was filled with joy. He was not depressed about what had been happening to him, but he was overflowing with joy. Why? Because he knows the story of Jesus. And he knows the story of the cross. And he knows that Jesus who hung on that cross for him to bring him joy. Do you know that Jesus? Do you know that kind of joy? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the good and the hopeful and the true news that you are in the work. You're at work in the midst of our sadness, redeeming it causing all things to work for our good and for our joy. Uh, Thank you for the good news that you have done something that will ultimately do away with all sadness. And so I I pray, Father, that in the midst of of our distresses, uh, that you would help us to know you and know Jesus, the one who has come so that we might have joy and have it in full. Uh, We pray in his name. Amen.